a science story, huh? These NYU scientists, they I felt, felt right. I was so and I just thought, well, I figured it, out. it was that golden moment. Because science was on my side. Hey everyone, welcome to the Story Collider, where we bring you true, personal stories about science. I'm your host, Erin Barker, and this week, in honor of Transgender Day of Visibility on March 31st, we're sharing two stories about the science of gender. This topic is one that resonates with me deeply on a personal level, and I'm so grateful to our storytellers today for so generously sharing their stories with us. If these stories resonate with you in the same way, I want to let you know that for the past few weeks, I've been honored to co-host Queer Space, a special series from the Air and Space Museum's Airspace podcast, featuring stories and people at the intersection of aviation, space, and LGBTQ plus history and culture. You can find it wherever you listen to Story Collider. But for now, we have two really wonderful and insightful stories to share with you from two very funny people. Our first story is from comedian Riley Silverman. It was recorded in the Before Times in May 2018 at the Lyric Hyperion in Los Angeles. The theme that night was Insights. So I had a lot of time as a child to think about what I wanted to be when I grew up, um, which for me, woman was like the top of that. And like that was a thing that at the time I didn't think was possible. So then I moved over to jobs. Like, what do I want to do for a job when I grow up? And uh, for a long time, I had three jobs as a child that I wanted to be. And the first of those was dinosaur scientist. Uh, I did not know that there was a term paleontologist. I did not know any of the science that was involved in dinosaurs. All I knew is that I liked dinosaurs. and I knew a lot about them for a six-year-old. And I thought, this seems like a good way to make a living. Turns out it wasn't. Uh, Jurassic Park ruined that for me. Uh, <laughs> killed the industry. I don't know. Uh, also, I didn't know any of the science, and that's an important thing, it turns out, when you're doing anything that's a science job. Uh, so then uh, the other job that I wanted to do was comedian, which it turns out, you heard my intro, worked out. So that's good. Uh, pays slightly less than dinosaur scientist, but it's still it's working out for me. The other job that I wanted to have as a kid was inventor. And I didn't really know what that meant. What I, my, my first engagement with science and with engineering and all that kind of stuff was through science fiction, through Star Wars and Star Trek and, and you know, Jurassic Park eventually and stuff like that. But the first movie that I remember that engaged me and made me excited about science fiction was Back to the Future. Yeah, it was great. It was awesome. I watched it. I loved it. And I, I saw it and I really wanted to be an inventor like Doc Brown because the beginning of Back to the Future is this scene where Marty McFly walks into Doc's like lab and he has all these inventions. So he's just working all the time making things. I did not realize at the time because I was like four or five and the movie came out that none of those inventions worked. <laughs> like... It's, it's a whole lab, it's a garage full of broken junk, basically. The only thing that I knew about Doc Brown as an inventor was that back in the 50s, he had fallen off a toilet, hit his head, and invented a machine that let time travel happen. <laughs> so when I was saying to myself and other people that I want to be an inventor, what I was really saying is I want to be a wizard. <laughs> 
what I want to do is think, hey, a problem exists, and then think of a solution to that problem, and then go, okay, I invented that solution. That's what I wanted to have happen. I didn't understand that in order to be an inventor, you had to know at least some of the science, and probably all of the math. Like, I assume <laughs> that would be useful, a little bit of the math, just a bit. So I, I, moved, I, that's, I moved off of Inventor, um, and I got a little older, and I, I moved into comedy, because you don't have to know any math to do comedy. Uh, not even your taxes, it turns out. Um, <laughs> don't tell the government I said that. I, we're recording this, this is going to be a problem. So, uh, okay, so a lot of people think that being transgender is anti-science, which I don't agree with. I think there's a lot of science involved in all the medicine that I take, first of all. And, <laughs> but back then, when I kept saying to the world that I wanted to be an inventor, what I was really saying, but didn't have the language to say, is I want to find a way that I can be a girl. Because I know that I'm a girl, and I try to tell people that, and they don't seem to understand it. Uh, the only the first time I ever heard a word as a child that even like was remotely close to how I felt inside was the word transvestite in a Mad Magazine parody of Batman. Like that's how far I was from understanding who I was, right? So like that's what I wanted to invent was like being myself. Uh, turns out comedian was good for that too. Um, and so this was like the beginning of my battle with science because like I didn't know there wasn't a way that I could just make like an invention that would just snap my fingers and turn me into what everyone else saw as a girl. So then I got to where I started hearing about the concept of puberty. And this is like the prime battleground between me and science. Like this is when I was like science and I were not buddies at puberty because <laughs> someone explained it to me, they go, oh, well, if you're a little boy and you go through puberty, you become a man. And if you are a little girl and you go through puberty, you become a woman. And I thought, okay, this is my last chance to fix this problem. <laughs> it is downhill from here. But unfortunately, I had not, I came of age in an era where we had the internet, but it sucked, right? <laughs> like, like, we didn't have your WebMDs. We didn't have places you could go and ask a bunch of questions and then read a bunch of slurs about yourself as a response to it. <laughs> it didn't have that yet. Well, we, the only questions I could ask the internet when I was, like, right about to hit puberty were age, sex, and location. And for me, one of those was a lie. So then, I, all I knew, so I, in my mind, what I understood of puberty, I thought it was just about like muscle definition and stuff like that. So I got the genius idea that I was going to trick my puberty. And the way that I was going to trick my puberty was working out to my mom's VHS copy of a Cindy Crawford workout tape. <laughs> This was a genius idea. I was sure of it. And I was more sure of it because the name of this tape was literally Shape Your Body. And I did. For a month, I worked out in secret in my bedroom to this Cindy Crawford workout tape. And I, like, spoiler alert, it did not turn me into Cindy Crawford. And the reason for that is not because of science, but because my mom found the VHS copy <laughs> of the Cindy Crawford workout tape in my bedroom and took it away from me. And the reason why she did was because what she thought she had discovered in her pubescent son's quote unquote bedroom was a bikini model workout tape. In her mind, she had just discovered that her son had discovered masturbation. And I had to go ahead and let her believe that was the case. 
because that was way less embarrassing than trying to explain to her the truth of what I was actually doing with the Cindy Crawford workout tape. So I could be like, no, mom, I'm not masturbating. I'm just working out trying to become the world's sexiest lady. <laughs> I'm fine. Don't worry about it. The lie that I made up, I told my mom that I was working out trying to get in better shape. I told her that I was getting picked on at school for being heavy, which was, you know, every, every good lie has some truth in it. And that was one of them. My mom's like, oh, you're, you're, you want to get in shape. Okay, I'll give you a tape you can work out to. And my mom handed me a real tape that existed that was called Regis Philbin, My Personal Workout. <laughs> yeah. Use your better internet later and look that up. That's a real video that somebody in this town pitched. Like somebody, somebody in a meeting was like, do you know whose body everybody wants? Regis Philbin. And then they pitched it to read in a meeting. Somebody sat across from a table with coffee with Regis Philbin and said, hey, we want to make a workout tape featuring you. And he was like, me? And they said, yes. And he said, I'll do it. And they sold it. That was a re So my mom gave me that. And I, uh, I did not continue to work out to the Regis Philbin tape because I did not want to go through puberty and become a Regis Philbin. <laughs> Eventually, I then had health class in junior high, and I learned about what actually happens to your body when you go through puberty. And this was like peak science fight, because now suddenly it was being revealed to me that like there was nothing I could have done to stop it. At that point in my life, like, I had no options. I, there was no amount of push-ups, no amount of stomach crunches would have made me a lady, right? So um, that was what I was learning. And, I, and so then I just had to go through puberty. And that's a thing that I think doesn't get talked about enough, because we talk about uh, Children who transition, like the, nowadays, uh, there are puberty blockers you can go on. You can take them and basically it gives you the time that you need to decide what you want to do with your own body. It gives you the little bit of time you might need to make a decision about yourself. Because whenever we talk about trans children, someone always says, well, they're too young to make that choice. Well, let me tell you what happened to me. I was too young to make that choice. And so the choice was made for me. My body had to go through puberty, and it went through the wrong puberty. It went through a male puberty. And so for me, I had no choice but to sit back and watch over the course of two or three years and onward as my body changed in ways that were exactly the opposite of how I felt. It was like the worst, slowest werewolf movie ever. <laughs> It was just like every day I'd walk and look in the mirror and just slowly see my brows arching a little bit more and little dark hair starting to form that shouldn't be there. And all that kind of stuff was happening over and just like angry and just like getting smelly and sweaty and gross in ways that I just didn't want. And it was horrible. And that's just how my life went on for a very long time. And so I hated the concept. I hated science. I hated everything about the the inevitable nature of, be, of not being who you wanted to be and the way that it was forced upon me because I, I was too young to make a choice, essentially. Um, the choice was made for me. And so it's like I was, I was young enough to, to not be able to have the life that I want to have. And okay. Um, but then, like I said, I, I, I mentioned that I, I heard the word transvestite in a parody magazine. That is not how I identify, but that was the first time where a word came along that said, hey, what is going on in your brain is not a thing that means you're broken. 
like it's a thing. There's a title for it. There are other people out there that have similar feelings that you do. It's a thing that we have got some data on. Uh, and then I got older and I got into my 20s and I started to like hear more complicated terms like gender dysphoria, which is the actual like study of how your brain is affected by the disconnect between what your body feels and what your body represents. Like, uh, like that's what I was trying to understand as a child as I was going through this puberty process. So suddenly I'm like, wait a minute, these are terms that sound clinical. Like these are terms that I can call a doctor and talk to about. And then suddenly like, maybe science and I aren't such enemies after all. Like maybe there is something here. And so then eventually, you know, I pushed it away for a long time because I'd already gone through the process of thinking I could change it and not being able to. And then I finally was like, oh my God, there's a, there's a light in the tunnel. And I was like running away from that light because I didn't want to be burned again. But eventually I got to a point where I was just like, I was never very suicidal. Like when I was a teenager, I had moments where I wanted to end things, but I, I pushed it aside. I had reasons in my life why I wasn't thinking of suicide as a real answer. But I had a moment in my mid to late 20s where I said, just because you're coping with life doesn't mean you're happy. Like just because you have blockades in your brain that are keeping you alive does not mean that you are actually living. And so then I called the LGBT center here in Los Angeles and I made an appointment and I went and talked to a doctor and then that doctor, uh, over a course of a couple of a couple of conversations, eventually prescribed me estrogen. So like they gave me a scientific solution to the thing that I had been fighting for decades at this point. And over the course of the last three years, I have gone through a second puberty or as I call it, a correct puberty. And like, I'm older, I'm in my thirties. I will never be able to get that exact body back that I could have had if I had started on this same path when I was in my teens, but I'm still being given like a shovel to dig myself out of the hole that was forced upon me in my teens. And so now I'm having like the rewind of that same werewolf scene. Like I'm seeing all the hair start to fade away. I'm seeing uh, my actual hair was balding and now it's coming back and it's growing in. It looks pretty awesome actually. Um, not gonna lie, it's doing pretty good. Um, and I'm, I'm going through this puberty and the difference between the puberty, like puberty is terrifying for everybody and it's never, no one feels great about suddenly being hairy and gross and smelly. Like no one's like, yeah, we did it. Like no one's like, I'm glad I ate my vegetables. Like my mom said when I was a kid. Uh, but now I'm going through it a second time and I'm okay with it, even though I have no idea when it's going to end. Like I have no idea how far I'm going to get with it. Um, but I'm excited about it because I have some vague idea. Like I know that I'm, you know, I'm developing breast tissue, which is fantastic. Uh, I developed the ability two years ago to have female orgasms, which is amazing. Like I'm doing the thing my mom was afraid I was doing with the Cindy Crawford tape. <laughs> Only now I'm using a vibrator for it and it's awesome. Um, it's like the difference between before and two years ago is like reaching down into a skirt or dress after three or six months and realizing that it has pockets. Like that's how much better it is now. <laughs> So that's all happening now, and that's all because eventually I learned that like science was not my enemy. Science was actually the saving grace that would get me out of what I was doing. And then the thing is, like I said, I don't have an endpoint. Like I don't know when I will feel complete. But what I do know is that younger and younger now, there are options for children who went through what I went through to be able to realize the issue earlier 
and have ways of giving themselves time to make choices for themselves and not have to steal VHS tapes to work out to and stuff like that. They can just take blockers and then when they're old enough, go, this is what I want to do. Cool. Uh, which is great because that gives them so much for more free time to stop worrying about themselves and focus on more important things like their career as dinosaur scientists. <laughs> Thank you. was Riley Silverman. Riley is a writer, comedian, and professional geek. She's a contributing writer for Nerdist and Fandom, the award-winning sci-fi podcast Bubble, as well as sci-fi's Forgotten Women of Genre limited podcast series. As an actress, she appeared in the Star series Take My Wife and in the comedy horror film Too Late. She has rolled dice on numerous actual play Dungeons and & Dragons and role-playing shows, and her comedy album, Intimate Apparel, was a number one bestseller. Before we continue with today's episode, a few reminders as the weather hopefully begins to warm up these next few months. We'll be hosting a few outdoor shows in cities like New York, D.C., St. Louis, Vancouver, and Toronto, and returning to our regular stages in some other cities. There's really no substitute for seeing stories told live on stage, and we would love to see you there. Find out more at storyclutter.org slash shows for all the details. We also have an online story slam coming up on April 8th on the theme Rebirth. Put your name in the virtual hat for a chance to be invited on screen to share your story, or just hang out with us and listen to the incredible stories. And don't forget that our big annual fundraiser, the Proton Prom, is coming up in Brooklyn on June 1st. Tickets will go on sale next week. We are planning an amazing party, and we would love to see you there. We're also continuing to offer online storytelling workshops for individuals as well as private groups. You can find out more about those at storyclutter.org workshops. And finally, if you're a fan of this podcast and if you, like us, believe in the power these stories have to reveal the humanity behind science, to change our understanding of how science happens and who it belongs to, please consider donating to the Story Collider at storyclider.org slash donate. You can also sign up to support us on a monthly basis at patreon.com slash the Story Collider. Our Patreon supporters can receive an ad-free version of this podcast as well as occasional bonus episodes and other gifts. We also have merch on our website. If you would like to buy a Story Collider hoodie, t-shirt, or tote bag, you can find those at storyclider.org slash store. Your purchases help to support Story Collider's work. We're so grateful to everyone who helps to make our work possible. Our second story today comes from Story Collider's own Ange Buxton. It was recorded in November 2021 at our live stream show at the Unitarian Universalist Society in Amherst, Massachusetts. The theme that night was exceptional. So I went to my niece's football game the other day, and I was so I was so hyped to be there. I was so excited to see her play. And I got there, and she's on the sideline, she's high-fiving everybody. They're, like, slapping each other's pads and helmets and everything. And she's, like, bouncing around, and I'm ready. And the first quarter goes by, and her team is definitely going to win because that team is losing by a lot. It was East Hampton versus Northampton. If you know the area, you know Northampton should probably stick to pickleball and ultimate frisbee. 
And the game continues. Very clearly a blowout. 40 seconds remaining. My knee still hasn't played a single snap. And I'm very angry and ready to fight a coach. And they put her in. Garbage time. But at that point, I had already seen what I needed to see. Because I thought I was going to go there and I was going to see that things had improved so much from when I was the only girl on the team and the only girl in the league at a time, a long time ago, when I felt like I was the only one in the world doing that. You know, we're the same age. I was in sixth grade too. So that's the time when your body's going through a lot of different changes. But if you're like me, you never really identify with the body that you were given in the first place. So you're trying to find different ways to find your herd, to find your people, right? And I always loved football. There was something about it. I just loved it. I don't know for me if it was necessarily gendered or if it was just that I just loved the sport, everything about it. I liked the snap of the chin strap. I liked the way the the mouth guard would like flick spit in your eye if you ran really fast. You know, I love the sound, the sound of the pop of shoulder pads, like when you could feel the whole vibration, when you wrap somebody's ankles and they fall on top of you that's faster than you, there's nothing like that in the whole world. There, You just, you just got them, you got them. And I love that. And I wanted to, I wanted to experience that for myself. My dad did not want me to play football. And it wasn't because he, it was, it wasn't because I was assigned female at birth. That's not what it was. It was, he just genuinely, he had played and he'd had too many concussions. And then he went to jail. And if you have to press one to accept the collect call from someone, you really don't have to listen to anything they say, to be honest. (laughs) So I asked my mom and she was like, I don't see why not. And she didn't see why not. She was going to be there coaching the cheerleaders anyway. You know, she, her attempts to get me to take ballet had failed miserably. That was the first time I asked her outside of ballet class when I was four. I said, what mom, why don't I have a penis? And she was like, because you don't. (laughs) So I started playing football, and I think for the first full week, uh, the coaches thought that I was just a boy with long hair, which was much closer to the truth than any of us could have reckoned at the time. <laughs> but they actually coached me in that first week, and I think once they figured out, oh, no, like, you know, that person's a girl, then they stopped coaching me, and I got thrown on the JV team, and I got stuck on the JV team. And I was playing defensive end, which I which is a great position. Your job is to contain the run. Don't, don't let it turn up to the outside. Fall into coverage and cover the tight end when they go out for a pass. And there, the tight end that I was always matched up against was this kid named Cody. And Cody had something. He didn't like me. He, there was something he had against me. I don't know what it was until one practice. He just he popped me so hard. I was like, I didn't know we could hit our own teammates like that. You know, I thought we were on the same team and that wasn't going to happen. But then I was like, oh, so we are allowed to hit our teammates like that. Okay. I see you, Cody. And it made me so mad. But at the same time, I was like, I was ready to prove myself because I wasn't going to just back down from that. I was, I was going to, I was going to take that hit and I was going to prove myself. So the rest of the practice, it didn't matter what the offense was calling my focus was hitting Cody as hard as I could. <laughs> I didn't care if the run took the outside. I knew I was like, somebody else can contain that. Let the cornerback get it. My job is to destroy Cody's life. <laughs> and at the end of practice, we're waiting around for our rise. My mom's a very notoriously late person. And, and this was the time when the bullying really like picks up, right? And it's, you're ugly and you're weird. And, and I think what it was, was they didn't want to be the kids on the team that had the girl 
No one wanted to be on the team with the girl, right? So I was destined to prove that, like, to me, it didn't matter. I didn't really identify with that anyway when it boiled down to it. So it was just like, I just want to play football. I felt like everybody else thought way more about it than I did. I was just there to play, like, to be honest. So I go home. Next day, going to school, Forest Park Middle School. Get to school. We have a field trip. Now, on the bus to the field trip, I sat with Dave and Brandon. They were my football buddies. But at school, I'm I'm a girl, right? I don't play football. In fact, I got sent to the nurse for the bruises I had on my forearms because they didn't believe me when I told them that I played tackle football. They were like, no, you don't. <laughs> I was like, yes, I do. <laughs> so I, I got to sit with my buddies. And Dave and Brandon were really cool. Um, but they had been on, var- on JV with me and had been recently moved up to varsity. So we were talking, we were talking smack. Like, I can't believe they moved Christian up to varsity and they didn't move me yet. And they had my back. They were like, yeah, it, it doesn't make sense why you haven't moved up to varsity yet. You know, you're better than these kids. They're, they're soft, you know, like, and I felt like, okay, maybe I am a part of this team. Maybe I am a part of this, uh, of football as a collective. Like, I really just wanted to be a teammate, you know. We get back to the school. And we're waiting in line to go back into the class. And the whole sixth grade is standing in line. And there's a lot of us. And this girl comes up to me. Her name was Amanda. And Amanda was, like, gorgeous. And she was, like, the popular girl, okay? I thought I wanted to be friends with her so bad. Took me about two years to figure out, no, that's just what a crush is. (laughs) I didn't know we were allowed to like girls, you know? (laughs) Like, I thought that was, like, off the table, like, completely. So she came up to me. And I was definitely a little flustered by her. Just like, why does she want to talk to me or whatever? And she's like, hey, I saw you sitting with my boyfriend on the bus. And I'm like, oh, yeah, this is not going where I thought it was. (laughs) But in my head, I, I was just like, okay, maybe we can wait this out. Then she goes don't talk to my boyfriend, bitch. And she pushes me. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to middle school, but <laughs> if somebody pushes you and calls you a bitch, you're really supposed to, like, do something about it. <laughs> like, you're really not supposed to stand there and go, oh, no, I don't know if I can hit a girl. You're really not supposed to do that. But... These kids circle up around me. They start chanting, Jerry, 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 Jerry. And I'm like, oh, no, this is it. I'm soft forever. If I don't do something, I'm soft forever. But luckily, I waited long enough for a teacher to notice there was a disturbance. (laughs) So the teacher approaches, and I'm off the hook. Granted, for the rest of the day, I had to deal with people why didn't you do something? She pushed you and called you a bitch. Why didn't you do something? Are you trying to steal her boyfriend? I'm like, ew, no. Like, <laughs> no. Like, we're talking about being linebackers over there. Like, <laughs> and I think about to this day just the way that gender has manifested and that feeling that I had the first time I opened DSM-5 and I sat, and this was years later, it was the five, um, and I sat there and I read the definition of of gender dysphoria and that conflict between your assigned gender and the gender you identify with and the way that that manifests the dysphoria, you feel the distress from trying to fit in. 
And I later read that there's an assimilation period that you go through in your teens when when your secondary sex characteristics are coming in and you're growing boobs and you want to, I guess you got to talk to somebody else who's growing them because the dudes on the football team, they don't, they can't tell me how to put a tampon in, you know? And I tried to fit in. I tried to assimilate to that. But at the same time, like I just knew that that was never going to be me. That was never going to work. And when I think back on Cody and the way that he just laid into me that day so hard, I think maybe that was actually his way of like accepting me onto the team and saying like, you know, we're going to treat you like one of us. We're not going to act like you're a girl so we can't hit you anymore. You're on the team now. And so as much as I hated him in that moment, I actually, in retrospect, appreciate being treated like I was one of. But at the end of the day, I don't know with gender and fighting. Like, how do you prove yourself? I guess we have to use our words. And that's all I got. Thank you, guys. Ange Buxton. Ange is a non-binary comedian, DJ, and teacher from Springfield, Massachusetts. Ange has headlined comedy shows all around New England and beyond and has DJed for events like Northampton Pride. Ange is a Teach for America alum and is dedicated to educational equity and views their work as a comedian as queer activism. Ange is also one of our newest Story Collider producers in Amherst, Massachusetts. Story Collider is so grateful to Riley and Ange for sharing their stories with us. Story Collider is also very grateful for the support of Science Sandbox, a Simons Foundation initiative dedicated to engaging everyone with the process of science. This podcast is produced by me, Erin Barker, executive director and co-founder of the Story Collider, with help from managing producer Misha Gajewski, education director Nissa Greenberg, and senior podcast editor Jun Chen. Special thanks goes out to Story Collider's board and the rest of our staff, including Managing Director Anne-Marie Lonsdale, Science Advisory Fellow Edith Gonzalez, Operations Manager Lindsay Cooper, and Marketing Manager Nikisha Roberts-Washington, without whom none of this would be possible. Stories featured in today's episode were from shows produced by Joseph Scrimshaw and Audrey Kearns and by Nissa Greenberg. Our theme music is by Ghost. Next week, Misha Gajewski will return as guest host for our episode in honor of World Autism Awareness Day. Until then, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.